Hi, and welcome to this podcast, the second recording here on Friday. Um, Alex has a friend that she's wanted me to connect with, and we chat a little bit on uh, on Facebook and other social places. She's really wanted to have Todd here on the podcast, and I'd like that, but uh, Todd wanted us to have one of his students, um, Nate. And I'm not going to try to pronounce his last name uh, because I don't want to mess it up. So as we roll in here, um, I'm recording this after our conversation. I'll let Nate pronounce his last name so I do not mess that up. Um, I was uh, excited, even though it's been a, a busy week and, and I just did some prep within the last like 90 minutes or so. I was excited to have Nate in because it's something that we overlook, but every now and then I nerd out about it, uh, mo- mostly with... Um, I pay attention to the birds now. I, I didn't, when I lived downtown, I, I saw no wildlife. Um, when I moved to where I did, I embraced wildlife and I'm and I always walk the dogs and I'm close to the park. So lots of things, many, many birds. Um, and Nate is a birding expert, uh, got into it really young and is now a savant with some of these things. In addition to me, kind of going, oh, look at that, when literally a blue jay will... So I look out my studio door and I see the apartments that you might drive by um, here in Arlington, and it's just like an urban setting. And I see a beautiful blue jay, and it's like a, it's a pop of color um, in this basically unassuming background that I get to look at. Um, so I pay attention to birds, and I do know that this is a very important area here we, where we live, and it doesn't get as much credit as you would think because we're, we're the glass city and the mud hens and everything else we're known for. But the biggest week in birding happens here in this area. Um, hasn't been what it, it usually is for the last two years for the obvious reasons, but just like for Jeep Fest, thousands of people will from all over. The, the planet will descend on Toledo to celebrate Jeep. Um, very much similar happens here in the area. And I think the note Todd gave me was the Solheim Cup brought in $50 million for the area. This biggest week in birding for the entire area will bring in about $40 million. So uh, sit back and enjoy a visit with Nate. And in, uh, I'm just going to say we get into dinosaurs, but with very good evolutionary reason. Welcome to the studio. You can pull that microphone a little closer to your sure. face. Sure. Um, first question. How do I pronounce, how do you pronounce your last name? Kozicki. Kozicki. Yes. Okay. It's Polish, so it's it's tough. Uh, it, the, the odd thing was, when I was typing up some notes for myself in my phone, um, it auto, it the predictive text spelled it out correctly. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. So maybe that, that bodes well for, for our visit here today. I guess so, yeah. Uh, I don't know what Todd Crail told you about what, what did he tell you that you were getting into with this? He told me that I would be talking about bird migration, different different aspects of ornithology, and just overall just how important the Toledo area is for um, wildlife and nature in general. Yeah. So, um, how old are you? I will be 22 tomorrow. Oh, my. Do you... Uh, this seems like a unique interest for someone your age. Would that be inaccurate? Uh, you know, I think there's a stereotype to what most birders are, but in general, that stereotype is kind of being abolished considering there's groups like the Ohio Young Birders Club and, and other 
students at University of Toledo who really enjoy being environmentalists. So I think I think the trend is really expanding to younger generations at this point. Um, I, and I don't know if Todd told you. Todd probably didn't tell you this. I'm actually fascinated. Um, so I lived. I'm glad to have you in here to talk about all this stuff. We're big animal lovers on this podcast, but it's mostly the standard things like dogs and whatnot. If there's a weird animal story, we'll talk about that. Right. I lived downtown for a long time, and it, I, I didn't see anything. I, I didn't even see pigeons, and usually pigeons are like a downtown bird thing, but not here in Toledo. I uh, moved close to, to Swan, Swan Creek Park. Uh, Swan Creek Metro Park. Sorry, my brain's out of it today. And uh, my life changed. Some of my friends said uh, that I'm like a Disney princess because being so close to the park, all these random animals like to come to my back door and torment my dogs. Mm. And I get to see a lot of neat things. One of those was um, unique birds. Um, The standard robins. There is another bird. Maybe if I still have the message from my friend... He is uh, an outdoor person who does a lot of stuff, a lot of videography. Uh, wild, he's a wildlife filmmaker, does a lot of stuff at the Metro Parks. He didn't know what this bird was, but they're always outside. Long long story medium, I've come to be quite fascinated by the colorful array of birds that we have here. Awesome. Uh, right behind you, I mean, I have the door open not to create the ambiance of birds, but it's, it actually gets warm in here. Um, but I'm on alert because we have. I see a lot of blue jays. I see a lot of cardinals. Um, in fact, uh, of all the animals that come to my back door where I live, the cardinal, I usually leave peanuts out for the squirrels. Mm-hmm. The cardinal is the one that flies to the back door with no fear of the dogs coming over to the window and barking and kind of cocks its head and goes, bro, where's the food at? Yeah. But I, I, I know that we have the, the biggest week in birding here. Um, that's been on my radar for a couple of years. So I am I am not a total novice knowing that we have an incredible array of, of birds to be interested in here. And that's why I'm glad that you're here to talk about that. We do. I'm, I'm glad to be here. If people don't understand that Toledo and Northwest Ohio in general is a very important area for birds and both breeding birds and bird migration so it's a pleasure to be here to talk about that what why why is it so important are we just so we do we have the biggest week in birding and it's may 6th to the 15th right correct and we will probably have thousands of people here i know it's a it's a big influx of uh money and people for the area i think the last two years it has not happened right because of covid correct last year was virtual Uh, so there were virtual guided tours and there were uh, presentations online but there wasn't anything in person last year full swing this year um so back to that original question why why is this such a hot spot for that there's a couple different reasons why there's a hot spot and it all begins down south in south america and central america Uh, and this refers to migrating birds uh, who pass through going to canada or some of them do stay in our habitats to breed Um, so what happens is these birds at little a few weeks ago or probably late february early march they they undergo this hormonal change affected by daylight and they undergo this um, phenomenon called migratory restlessness to where they their hormones are changing. They just know they have to go north to breed. And so what will happen is these birds will begin to uh, move north and some will either go around the Gulf of Mexico, island hop from the Bahamas onto Florida and those other coastal states continue north. Or some will just go straight over the Gulf, which is an 18-hour flight. And they're flying the whole time? They're flying the whole time. Not not the ones that, that island hop or go around the Gulf. Sure. They will make pit stops. But if you're going over the Gulf, you have nowhere to stop. So you got to keep going. How? Explain how they ha- they can have the energy to do that. A lot of it happens internally. Uh, their metabolisms, their metabolisms uh, change 
And they eventually, if they're getting too tired, they actually use a lot of their fat reserves and even some of their muscle reserves. So once they pass that gulf, they need to refuel. Sure. And once they get over that gulf, they continue north through eastern United States. And what happens when they reach northwest Ohio and the Lake Erie area in general is they see that huge body of water. And so they're thinking to themselves, okay, we already crossed a huge body of water. We're going to have to refuel for this. So they will stop at these stopover habitats right along the lakeshore. Places like McGee Marsh Wildlife Area, Iowa National Wildlife Refuge, Maumee Bay State Park. Those are all prime hotspots for birds to refuel on insects before they cross over that lake. What are some of these birds that begin in South America and come up here? We're not like probably not like what we what I mentioned the cardinals and, and the blue jays more unique birds that we don't see here because they're on another continent. Right. The the one that draws birders from all around the mm-hmm. world it is the uh this family known as warblers or wood warblers. These species there's about 36 different varieties of them. Um multicolored, multi-vocalizations. Uh, we also have birds like orioles and tanagers that we see here over the summer. Birds like thrushes. There's a whole whole mix of what them. are these what do these look like? They're all well these are all songbirds. So okay. they're 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 the typical um, archetype you'd see in like a, a cardinal or a robin. So Got they're, it. they're they're you know they're colorful they're they're as the name implies they sing and they're these warblers they're only about five inches and they weigh half an ounce and so these guys are crossing through the whole entirety of the eastern united states over the gulf of mexico and over lake erie just to go breed in canada and other places i guess uh like uh like like horny teenagers when you're driven and you got to take care of something you just go well there's one way to put it yeah um I mean, it's our it's our biology. Everything on this planet, for hundreds of thousands of years, for millions of years, it's to make more of what we are. Right. So, uh, as much as we think uh, we we as humans often treat it as pleasure, but procreation, the initial part of the instinct was make more of us. That's how evolution drives us. Yeah. Um. So, do they have? We'll, we'll come back to what's going on here. Is this this area seems like just a pit stop? Do those birds keep going north? They, a lot of them do. Uh, a lot of them are specific to their habitats when it comes to breeding. So a lot of these <clears throat> warblers and vireos and, and, and other species, they will continue to the boreal regions of Canada, meaning uh, boreal means north. And so a lot of that habitat is kind of coniferous, so there's a lot of pines and, and, and trees like that that they thrive on. Um, but the birds that breed here, there's actually a lot of birds that, that migrate through that do breed here. Mm-hmm. Um, we have an array of habitats from the marshes out by Lake Erie. We have a lot of great urban little oases here in the Toledo area. And then out west, the globally important Oak Openings region is phenomenal for a wide variety of birds. So after they do all this, where do they go? Do they just stay here? Do they keep their bird family going or do they go back to South America? A lot of them will go back. So any, any of the birds that start off in South America, they're going to go right back. So, um, but we do, like I said, have resident birds that stay year round. Like we have our cardinals, uh, we have our robins who do migrate, but a lot of them will stay for the winter to eat berries. So not all birds leave. Right. So, um, so we have the biggest week in birding back as usual, um, the 6th of May through the 15th is, does that coincide? Cause I had never seen this before or I overlooked it. Um, the great Lake Erie birding trail are they do they coincide with one another the Great Lake Erie birding trail is a set of different sites throughout uh, our region that 
all interconnect to form this this semi trail. So they're, they're essentially a collection of birding hotspots throughout our area. So uh, dive into uh, some of those places that you had mentioned. Um, where people could go, look at these. I know you mentioned like oak openings, and, and people are well aware. I think of uh, that, that that might be many people's favorite metro park for a variety of things. One of mine too. Um, what could they be looking for? Um, where could they hunker down at, or maybe even just outside of that? It, will we see any of these things in neighborhoods, or maybe close to to the river downtown? Right. Well, that's where it all starts. For me personally, I started birding in my backyard and at our local metro parks. My uh, my first. My first metro park that I would bird at was Sidecut Metro Park, and that that one is visited by a, a ton of people. And there's a lot mm-hmm. of great habitat. Like there's the riverine corridor, there's the woodlands, there's some grasslands there, and you can find a variety of birds pretty much wherever you are in the city. Um, birding, I'm sure people are familiar with the phrase. It's it's a verb. What do you, what specifically do you mean by by birding? Because I I think the layman may be like, oh, that there's there's Nate looking at a bird and maybe taking some pictures. Is it more technical and involved than that? Not necessarily. The term bird watcher is kind of outdated at this point just sure. because you're doing a lot more than just watching. You are watching, but you're also listening. You're taking notes. You're trying to understand what that bird is, what it's doing, why it's here, and etc. So the term birding has kind of evolved into a term that most birders uh, we'll use these days. What do you do when you when you do things now to go birding? Um, what is your practice like? That's what's special about birding is that you can essentially do it in any way as long as you're not harming the birds. Personally, I'm very observational. I will go out and just try to find as much as I can see. It all de- just depends on how I'm feeling that day too. Sometimes I'll just go out and you know sit on my porch and you know look at the cardinals. Other days, I'll be trying to find hundred plus species and. 24 hours so um, but it's very observational you take notes um, I do take photographs um, even though I'm not much of a photographer I've had my same camera since probably seventh grade so uh, once I pay off these student loans I'll be upgrading to another camera but like I said birding you can do it any way you want uh, what are how, how are humans dangers to to bird uh to birds i i know um there's probably some warnings people shouldn't be feeding certain types of food to birds so talk about like us we, we are the apex predators how do we interfere with the lives of birds and how can someone bird or enjoy uh the biggest week in birding or just go out to a metro park and not do something that endangers a bird right well there's there's a there's a lot of lot of issues that humans have caused throughout human history i mean we're the worst thing on the planet well <laughs> but we're, we're part of it so we have to work with it and we have to do our best to you know maintain some stability for both us and our wildlife and um so issues like habitat degradation and destruction from uh, overuse of um, development uh, and other projects uh, pollution is another big one uh, if you're walking through a park you know Find a trash can. Right. Can. Yes. Um, how, about, how about more like a, a one-on-one experience, like pollution? Well, I was thinking large-level pollution and and tearing down of, of, of uh, green space. What about if I'm I'm at side cut? Just observe. I don't want to interfere. Birds aren't really like squirrels per se, where they might interact with you. Um, but people shouldn't be feeding birds certain things either, right? Right. Yeah. There, there is one issue when it comes to feeding ducks specifically, because uh, people will, people will feed ducks bread, which in thought is is a nice thing to do. But at the end of the day, the science behind it is that bread is actually 
there was no nutrition at all in bread for ducks. Um, it's almost like feeding them styrofoam in a way. So they're feeling full, but they're not getting any nutritional value out of that. And they actually can develop a case called angel wing, where the, their wing feathers begin to wilt because they're not getting the essential nutrients from their native uh, vegetation that you, that they eat underwater. We see a lot of ducks. I, I When I was living downtown, I saw a lot of ducks. I saw a lot of geese. Some of them were very nasty and terrorized my dogs. They, I, you would say that they're like, they're like teenagers. They would set up on a corner and then just live there and scare anybody off. Um, what, what would you feed a duck? What would you feed some of the birds, that the blue jays, the cardinals? What is something safe to pass along to them? Other than the obvious, I guess, bird feeding food. Right. Re- regarding ducks, to my knowledge, I, I haven't gone out and fed ducks personally, but I do know they, they like cracked corn. That's a good one to give them, um, and just also letting them, letting them essentially find food on their own is important because when they become dependent on humans and they're eating these these you know malnutritious foods, that's that's not going to do well for them personally and for their offspring down the road. Uh, regarding uh, bird feeding birds, one of the best seeds to offer is black oil sunflower seeds. There's a lot of different bird seeds out there, but that's the one that the most uh, species will go to. Like cardinals love it. Blue jays, they love peanuts like you offer to your squirrels. Um, there's also um, thistle seed that our American goldfinches love. And there's there's a wide variety out there. Somebody had mentioned to me before uh, when I had moved and, and I started telling these tales of, of this Disney princess life I was living with all these animals visiting me. They said, you should get a bird feeder. And I, I had considered it when I looked into it. I never fall. There's a lot of things I get in my head and then something else takes my attention but it would seem to uh to set up a bird feeder is probably like very low cost and low maintenance right it is pretty low cost and low maintenance uh and a lot of it just comes down to making sure it's relatively clean and uh restocking it as 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 much as you can just so the the birds aren't uh birds aren't you know looking for something that's not there who are who are the predators of some of these birds other than humans Birds themselves are predators to themselves. Uh, they're always out trying to outcompete themselves for uh, their best territory or food reserves. Um, raptors, hawks, owls, eagles, uh, they'll go after birds, specifically hawks and owls. Eagles, they typically go after uh, larger prey like fish, and they'll even scavenge for, for roadkill sometimes. But we also uh, we have a lot of natural predators with um, coyotes, uh, raccoons will raid uh, nests for eggs. And there's also kind of an issue with feral cats. There's a lot of cats around here, and they will go after songbirds. And they will kill for sport sometimes, too, which is unfortunate. Because I love cats. Right. You don't, you don't, you don't want to see that happen, though. Right. So. Um, I, I see where I live. Uh, I see more, more robins than people sometimes. Are, are the robins the most common bird people will see around here? At this time of year, robins, they are... They are very common. So yes, they're they're one of the most common birds you'll see, and you'll see them in you'll see them anywhere. You'll see them in lawns. You'll see them in open woodlands, um, and they're at this point in spring. They're they've begun to sing and really establish their territories. Uh, what's interesting about robins is that unlike unlike the, the stereotype of a robin, robins are here in the winter. Um, there's just not typically as many because robins are robins are cool. The ones we see. In the spring and summer, those are birds that typically fly further south, so in areas in southern Ohio and other areas. The ones we see in winter are birds that bred uh, north of us. And uh, once the seasonal change shifts, the birds that we have in winter move north, and the ones that we have in the summer are coming up from those southern areas. 
Um, Typically. Going back to all, all the uh, the organized activities um, that pull people here in the next handful of weeks or so, is all this all this seems pretty free, right? Or is there any cost involved to be a part of these activities? It doesn't cost anything really to go outside and enjoy birds how you want to. But if you want to get involved, you can register for uh, Black Swamp Bird Observatory's Biggest Week in American Birding. There's a lot of different field trips you can go on where experts will take you through these exceptional areas to find as many birds as you want. Are you an expert? You seem like an expert. Well, I, I do my best. Okay. So. <laughs> um, and there's also a lot of great public speakers that are uh, presenting during the festival, too. Um, it looks like uh, I have my notes somewhere here. You're one of the youngest guides during Birder Week? I, I was. During now, Birding Week? I started guiding for the biggest week when I was about uh, 15 years old. What was your initial interest in this? In, in birds overall, yeah. you mean? Yeah. Um, so, like I said earlier with Sidecut, uh, that's the first park I would ever go to because my mom would take me and my brothers, and we would they would go scootering uh, all over the park. And I would be, I'd have my scooter too, but I'd always stop to take a look at a cardinal. I, I mean, I loved the color red when I was younger. Mm-hmm. still my favorite color. And so that draw me into the, into the cardinal, and that cardinal brought me into really showed me a world of other birds out there. So I had a lot of overdue field guides from the library just studying up on these birds. What are they? What are they doing? Why are they here? And well, here I am right now on your show. How how smart are they? I mean, can you form a relationship with a bird as you would, uh, uh, as I do with the, some of the squirrels? You know, it, it really depends on the species. A lot of the songbirds, they're driven strictly by instinct. And, and I guess, like... It's not really it's not legal to own a, a songbird protected by the Migratory Bird Treaty Act of 1918, but there are cases where people do connect with wild birds. There's uh, American crows and, and other members of the Corvidae family, so crows and uh, ravens. They have the cognitive abilities of a four-year-old child. They can speak really well. They can they can outspeak a parrot. You know how people train parrots to talk. Crows can resemble the voice of a person almost the same. Uh, I, yeah, that's the question I wanted to go back and ask you. Those more predatory birds that you mentioned, the eagles, the ravens, the crows, there's a couple others in there. We have, would we include owls in that? Yes, hawks uh, are, are uh, owls are uh, raptors. Owl, owls and hawks. How, how frequently do we see those? Those are some birds I've never come along. I know that there was a, a very old bald eagle that's been at Nature's Nursery um, with a broken wing. The, the guy is like 20-something years old, mm-hmm. and I think that's near the end of his life where he should have been dead already. Mm-hmm. How frequently would we see those um, both in, in like a, a, an urban area like this and then maybe farther out in, in the parks? Well, what's cool about hawks, unlike the songbirds that migrate at night, Hawks actually migrate in the day, and at this time in mid-April, this is a great time to see migrating hawks overhead. So all you really have to do is look up. Uh, if you go to urban areas, you'll see Cooper's hawks, which are these really cool, almost steel steel gray, steel blue, uh, and orange hawks uh, that, that specialize in going after other birds. If you go out to the open country, you'll find red-tailed hawks. Uh, those are the those are the ones that when you're driving along the the highway over to like Cedar Point or something, you'll see like 20 just sitting on the telephone wires, and uh, we have other specialty hawks like red-shouldered hawks who frequent areas like uh, the Oak Openings region. They love those swampy woods out there. Um, and in April, we also have a bird called a broad-winged hawk, which you can see hundreds in a single kettle, as we say, a soaring flock. Do- we have turkey vultures here, right? We do. Um, I, I think I, I got familiar with them when I was living in, in Orlando, Florida, and they were some ugly bastards. <laughs> they they aren't too pleasing up close, but they are really cool to see, especially when they're in these massive flocks. Uh, turkey vultures are really interesting. 
Um, if you want to identify one, one tip that I've learned is when you look at them in the sky, they almost hold their wings like a V, it's kind of a shallow V. And when they when they're when they're soaring, they kind of teeter in the wind. And so that's one way you can distinguish a turkey vulture from a hawk or an eagle. They're fairly common around here. They are. Um, yes, I, I I would literally see. I could see one a day in lots of places. When I lived in Orlando, they they were almost like neighbors in a way. Um, and but they they're of no danger to humans, right? No. They, they want nothing to do with us. No, even though they look like ugly, disgusting beasts. Right. Yeah. They're they're no danger. No no hawks or owls really are much of a danger in this area. As long as you keep your distance from their nests, you should be fine. Uh, what else did I want to ask you? Uh, you you're obviously I would say you are very much an expert at 22 years old. Uh, Todd told me that you had an article published in Audubon Magazine. I did. What's that all about? I had an article published uh, back in 2017, uh, which was the beginning of my uh, senior year of high school. And that was essentially about just being a young birder and my perspective on it. I grew up playing hockey my whole life, and um, I still play roller hockey at the Ottawa Park League. And um, so it's, it wasn't too common for a hockey player to, to be a bird watcher at that age. Uh, so, so, you I just, didn't, you know, so you didn't fit the stereotype. I, I didn't fit the stereotype. But what, what's cool is that there isn't much of a stereotype anymore. Because like I said, we have great outlets like the Ohio Young Birders Club and, and, and other young environmentalists studying in college like I am right now to get ready for the real world to take their passion into their career. Yeah. So, what, what, do you, what kind of career do you want to make out of this? What are you studying? I am studying environmental studies at UT. And I should be graduating uh, on May 7th this year. Congratulations. So, thank you. A couple thank of weeks away. What you, speaking a little earlier, but, you yeah. know. <laughs> what do you want to be when you grow up? Uh, I don't really know. I, th- I think there's a lot of options. I think um, it's definitely something to do with birds or the environment. I mean, birds will always be my number one do you focus, have a, an ideal, a dream, a perfect job or occupation? I don't think there's really a perfect job out there. Um but at the end of the day, I'm really enjoying my position right now. I work uh, with Metro Parks Toledo, and uh, they do a great job with uh, local conservation efforts, and they're really leading the effort here. Have Toledo. you ever come across my friend Alex Getz? I sure have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's the filmmaker I was talking yeah, about. Yeah, he makes some excellent, excellent films. He does. He has stopped bothering me to come out with him, and I would have. He would just always ask me in, in the dead of winter <laughs> when it just stormed or in on the hottest days. I'm like, why can't you ask me in April when it's like 58 <laughs> and we don't have to get bundled up or sweat? Well, you know, that's the thing. I mean, nature nature doesn't care how, how cold it is or how rainy it is. I do. I know. Well, that's I, do. I do, too. I mean... <laughs> I was at Oak Openings yesterday, and I was burning a little bit, but it, the wind was just ridiculous, and I'm like, yeah, I don't know if I can do this anymore. I, so I went and got Panda Express. Good enough. Good <laughs> yeah. call. Um, last year, people might remember, uh, we were watching uh, a very special set uh, of plovers at Maumee Bay. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that and how, why they were special? Yeah, so back in May of 2021, we had a pair of piping plovers nesting at Maumee Bay State Park. And what's significant about these plovers is that they are endangered to begin with. However, this was the first time in 83 years that these plovers have nested in the state of Ohio. Their names were actually uh, Nish and Nellie. Nish was banded first in Chicago. Nellie was banded somewhere in Pennsylvania. And these two met here at the shores of Lake Erie and raised uh, four chicks uh, on the beaches of Maumee Bay State Park. I knew they left... Uh, and then I think they came back, and I, one of them was injured or eaten? One of the chicks was eaten, and they believe it was eaten by a mink, which is a small yes. uh, predatory rodent. Yeah, I, I think uh, 
if people had gone out to Maumee Bay, if I have this picture right, the whole area was was cordoned off because they couldn't be disturbed, right? Right. right. Yeah. Uh, why why do they come here? Well, piping plovers, they specialize in sandy beaches. And one of the issues with our beaches here in Ohio, um, it's great for people, but there's there's always so much activity on these beaches that these plovers, they, they can't assimilate with all this human activity and, and other activities like that. So... At one point, they just found some privacy, and they continued to go through their courtship displays, and they successfully raised three chicks. Will they ever come back? A lot of them do. It's called site fidelity. If they were if they were appropriately raised and they they managed to get out, uh, they they could come back. It's not a promise. I mean, anything could happen in the winter. Sure. So, uh, but it would be exciting to see if they do come back, and I hope they do. Um, I have two final questions. It's been, it's been a great conversation. Um, as kind of like a, a novice bird or bird watcher, again, my eyes are open now to to see all these birds that we've talked about. Um, two things. Nate had included. I'm sorry, Todd had included in an email something about snorkeling in the rivers here. Was that something you knew about? Yeah, uh, I am not much of a uh, fish expert by any means, uh, but but Todd, uh, he knows a great deal about the ecology that happens subsurface under the water. And there's a lot of different fish. Unlike the birds, you know, you can see them, you can hear mm-hmm. them, but the fish, you have to go underwater. But when you do, there is a huge, huge diversity of fish species. These small fish called darters, these little these little fish that they cling onto rocks underwater or go against the current. Uh, there's a huge variety of them here, and he could tell you more about those. He had mentioned that, and the first thing that came to mind was all the all the nasty stereotypes that have come along with like the Maumee River, mostly in the downtown area, and the unappealing color of it. Right? Uh, could fish fish do live in that? Even though we look at it and go, "That's a nasty looking color," but right? Can can life still be there? Life life finds a way. Yeah. My favorite movie, Jurassic yes. Park. That's. <laughs> That's that's how it goes. That is a perfect segue. So when I to my last question, when I was a little boy, uh, my thing was dinosaurs. I loved dinosaurs so much I could name them all. And a couple of things, um, if you don't know, and and I think we really locked in on this within the last five to seven years that there are quote unquote dinosaurs everywhere, and we now know that birds are their descendants, right? Correct. Can, we, can you talk about that a little bit? And, and if you've been to any exhibits, there are now uh, dinosaurs, and you'll see the feathers being put on these. Well, they're not real dinosaurs, but there are now feathers on these models because of the connection. Right. I can't say I'm much of a paleontologist or evolutionary biologist. However, I must say I did have the same exact passion as you uh, growing up. I, I Jurassic Park was my, my go-to movie. Still is. I'm looking forward to the new one coming out in June. Um, but yeah, a lot of these these birds descended from some of the dinosaurs that managed to survive the the KT extinction period. And do you want to talk about that? I know what the KT level is, but the average person probably has no idea. The KT extinction was essentially the demise of the dinosaurs. the The, the main theory is that a, a an asteroid hit Earth or a meteor, excuse me, and that wiped out the dinosaurs because it shot, I believe either carbon monoxide or carbon dioxide in the atmosphere blocked out the sun killed off all the plants and then when the plants are gone the food chain is messed up and so these dinosaurs they they perished of of starvation uh, if they did not get hit by the meteor right so which landed somewhere in mexico somewhere in the gulf of mexico yes. um so some other things with that so since we could talk dinosaurs um it's 
it, it's an it, I had a, a, a an empty area where I got away from dinosaurs when I was a kid I liked it and then we had I had the first Jurassic Park trilogy and then there was the gap dinosaurs kind of went dormant and then now it's back whether because I actually feel like we're in a an overlooked not to paleontologists and like but for the average person who like us like dinosaurs as kids we're discover this is like the golden age of paleontology uh, I don't know about you, but when I grew up, it seemed like um, there was the set of dinosaurs that we knew, the Triceratops, the Stegosaur, all the popular ones. Right. But now we are finding so many more like we did maybe 100 or 150 years ago. It's every day, every week, once a month, there's always another massive find in paleontology. It's incredible how these scientific discoveries have evolved themselves. I just read, uh, excuse me, I didn't read a paper, but I, um, I watched a video uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, I don't know if the theory is going to be essentially accepted by the scientific community, but they were doing studies on Tyrannosaurus rex skeletons, and one of the theories is based on these different uh, different qualities in these skeletons, the T Rex could have been three different species. I think the 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 thought was. Uh, Tyrannosaurus regina, Tyrannosaurus rex, and then Tyrannosaurus. Uh, emperor that's that's that those were the the latin names that they gave to what could be three different species of a t-rex it's also fascinating because none of us were here back then right um and i think when we grow up and maybe it's taught differently now i don't know what dinosaur education is like it's probably not something until you get into a, a paleontology or archaeological um course in, at a high level college and that's what you want to do but i think we get stuck because i know i certainly did that all these dinosaurs that we loved were on Earth at the same time. And actually, some of the more popular ones were tens of millions of years apart. I think that's one misconception mm -hmm. that people overlook. And the other thing is like, oh, well, they just all died by by the say meteor asteroid. I'm going to get it right. Meteor. To my knowledge, I'm, I'm not. The big like rock, I said, I'm a bird guy, not much of a rock guy. Which, <laughs> but you, the bird ties to the dinosaurs, which right. ties to their it's extinction. It's all connected. One of the four laws of ecology. Everything's connected. It absolutely is. Um and I think we overlook the fact that they all live tens of millions of years apart. Like, right. th and I don't to just use an example. This might be off. Like the Stegosaurus and the and and the Tyrannosaurus might not have been anywhere near each other. Not a chance. Like us and cavemen, uh, completely different times. And um, humans have been on Earth kind of as us for about like a quarter of a million years, which is like a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of time consider, considering if you compare that to how long the dinosaurs were here. Right. We just think these dumb animals with one with short arms and we make fun of them and have neat memes got blasted by this rock from the sky and their 10-year existence was gone. They were on this planet for millions of years. Right. It's crazy. It's crazy. And, and like you said, they were all divided by their time spans. There was a Triassic period. There was the Jurassic period, which had like the Stegosaurus and Allosaurus and uh, Brachiosaurus, and then Cretaceous period. That's when all the the, the giant theropods really came out, like T. Rex and Spinosaurus. Did you were you such a, a dinosaur nerd? And I say that lovingly. Oh yeah. Were you ever still a, am? Were you a dinosaur nerd to the point where, when you were watching Jurassic Park? Now, granted, they they created all these in a lab and hold on to your butts and all right. that stuff. Were you such a nerd? Like I do this with uh, with with my Marvel movies and superhero stuff. I'm like that's not what that costume looks like. Do you go? Those two dinosaurs didn't live on Earth at the same time. All the time. <laughs> Did you? All the time. Oh my gosh! I, but at the end of the day, it is a movie, and, and right. they 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 accept that 
Um, and a lot of it's just to get the public aware, like, hey, this is what we had on our Earth millions of years ago, and now they're back. Right. Um, and it's all. Yeah. And all these movies are 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 born of. I get it. It's the suspension of of disbelief. Mm-hmm. What, what you have to do for Hollywood and stuff, but more than any other movie, I haven't. I didn't see the second. I didn't see the middle movie, the one that was out. Uh, I saw the first one with Chris Pratt and the Raptors blue and whatnot, mm-hmm. and I kind of threw in the towel because I just got kind of fed. I couldn't suspend disbelief of like, why do they keep making these always? These things always go wrong. It's like giving like a twelve year old keys to a Ferrari. Right. Like this is not a good idea. People always wind up dying or eaten. Right. So, yeah, that makes for good Hollywood. But I mean, I'm going to keep watching those movies. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> what, what? What was the so the. Was Jurassic Kingdom the first one with Chris Pratt? Uh, Jurassic World. Um, it was just Jurassic World. Okay. Then what was the the second one, the most recent one? Next one was Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom. Okay. And then what's this one going to be? It's going to be Jurassic World Dominion, and it okay. should be the conclusion of the series. Should be. I hope but it's not. It, it never will be. Right. If, if there's a property that people will go see and they can make money off of, they will keep making them. Especially with dinosaurs. What? Is, yes. 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 Especially with all the new ones that keep getting discovered. Right. In the first. Three. Did you have a favorite? First one. First. How, co- how come? It's the one that got me interested in dinosaurs, and I was really young. Uh, that just hearing that first roar of Rexy the T Rex, because that that was her name in the in the um, in the trilogy. Um, just my favorite movie of all time. I mean, it it may sound cheesy, but that's that was that was my passion growing up, and it's it's funny because. In a way, my passion for dinosaurs, like the dinosaurs and the birds, kind of evolved into birds as I got older. Um, like I said, like I was into dinosaurs before birds because I was into dinosaurs probably, you know, when I could start thinking on my own when I was, you know, toddler. Uh, and then I started transitioning into the, the birds when I was about six years old. So, but to this day, I'm still a huge dinosaur guy. Huge. The concept of to tie this back to to birds so closely it took me a minute i understood it i didn't disbelieve it at all but when we made that that hard line connection from dinosaurs to birds was i wish more people were in the awe that that i am and you seem to be because it's easter the jesus stuff two thousand years ago like we barely can wrap our heads around that. Most people can't wrap their heads around like a corded telephone mm-hmm. or a TV that doesn't have a massive back to it. And Jesus is, we talk churches and, and, and whatnot. We have all these symbols and these things that are outside because the door is open, have a direct lineage to things that we are talking about from hundreds of millions of years ago. And I guess outside of maybe like, like, like alligators, some reptiles, there is no other tie to to an Earth from millennia ago, and that utterly it puts me in awe and fascinates me. It's fascinating. I'm, I could be a dinosaur watcher. Well, um, you will when you go to the movies. If you right. find a dinosaur, I'll let you know. You, you have made the greatest discovery in all time. <laughs> La, uh, last question, and maybe this will take us another place. What was your favorite? You said the dinosaur uh, scream, the shriek of in, in Jurassic Park. Did you have another favorite scene or so? Because I I like in the second one. First of all, have you ever dressed up for Halloween as Dr. Ian Malcolm? Oh, you don't have to do the it's shirt. A, it's a good idea now. You would um, look good in the glasses and the black. Appreciate it. Yeah, I I would I would consider it. I I, I guess growing up, Alan Grant was was you know he was filled with bad ideas. <laughs> well, I mean, but I mean, poor Alan Grant was just kind of thrown into this stuff. Like right. he, you know, he didn't. Oh, that's he didn't Dr. Go. Who, who was the older gentleman? 
who passed? That was, um, oh my gosh. Yeah, Dr. Grant is back for this one. They had the original cast, uh, right, I for this movie? I forgot his name. Yes, he was the one with bad ideas for the yeah, engine company. Right. My favorite scene was uh, when he was trying, uh, Dr. Malcolm was trying to save his daughter in the RV. Mm-hmm. Love, in the second one. Yeah. Loved that scene. And I like the scene, I think, in the first one where they come across a sick triceratops. Yeah. And there's a massive pile of dino poop. And yeah. Oh, yeah. She's in awe and she just listens to it. And at that point, like, they, she and the others had realized like this this is real and mm-hmm. I can help this creature that somebody made in the lab there's some amazing things there so oh, yeah. I hope you enjoy the, uh, the the final part of this trilogy I sure will it was a good conversation thanks for visiting yeah thanks for having me I had a great time